She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and we have Morley Robbins back on the show. He is so popular. You guys love him so much, and we are talking about how to find out the root cause of what's going on with your health issues, and we're answering tough questions, and of course, we're talking about copper, and copper is needed by every cell, every tissue, every organ in the body. And nobody, hardly, besides Morley and a couple others, are talking about it. So, Morley, welcome. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Chantel. Thanks for the opportunity. So, I want to talk about, for me, I have had a major iron deficiency. If you look on my blood work, everything was low iron, low ferritin, everything I had, to the point my doctor wanted to put me on iron infusions to actually infuse my body with iron. And there is only one thing that helped me, and that was adding copper into my diet. And you are the one who helped me see that. So it doesn't, I want people to kind of understand how is it that if you're low in iron, adding copper is going to help. It it just like explain how that works. No, that's a great it's a great conundrum, right? Um, they actually figured this out in the 1920s. Uh, there were two famous studies done in uh, the same year, 1928, in March at the University of Wisconsin, where they denied copper to animals, little rodents, uh, and iron filled up in their liver. So they knew there was a relationship between copper and iron. And they were really fascinated by it. And then uh, three months later in May uh, of 28, at the uh, University of Kentucky, Dr. McHarg did a study, um, again, little rodents, withheld copper. And what he was studying was the accumulation of iron in the red blood cell. And they got very dark. The red blood cells got very, very dark. So again, we're, we're confirming the fact that, that low iron has an effect on iron, but especially on its accumulation in the tissue. The, the part that's, that's fascinating uh, is that it's clearly in the literature, but you got to dig for it. Not everyone has the time or the inclination to do that. I'm not that way. I like to dig. And uh, I'm a Scorpio by, by astrological sign, so I love to dig. Um, and Every facet of iron metabolism relies on copper. The very creation of hemoglobin, or the creation of the heme protein, let's start there. The creation of the heme protein requires iron to be dropped into the center of that heme protein. Well, there's actually an enzyme that does that. It's called ferrochelatase. Well, that crane is operated by copper, and it's copper that's dropping the iron uh, into the endothelium protein. You can't make hemoglobin, which is knitting four heme together, or, yeah, knitting four heme together with their globulin proteins. You can't make hemoglobin unless you have copper. You can't knit it together. Again, there's a copper enzyme that's required. All the process of maturing the uh, emerging red blood cells to become fully mature red blood cells, to go from being a reticulocyte to being what's called an erythrocyte red blood cell, that process requires copper. And again, this is all well chronicled in the literature, but it's not taught to practitioners. It just it doesn't fit the narrative. And so the, the mineral that's missing the most, I think it's reasonable to conclude, minerals are completely challenged by our farming system and our food processing system. I think we can all agree on that. But I think there's a particular focus around lowering um, magnesium and copper. We've had that discussion previously. But the the properties of some of the farming chemicals, especially Roundup, 
my folks think, has a particular affinity for lowering uh, the, the uh, access to copper in the soil. So I, I think that's something for people to be aware of. And the notion that anemia even exists uh, was challenged. I just came across this literature in the last uh, week or so. There was a, a famous husband and wife team, Harriet and David Gershon, uh, in the 60s through early 2000s. Uh, they did their research at the Israel Institute of Technology, and they were gerontologists studying the aging process. And what did they study? They studied the red blood cell. And what they were able to identify is that there's a handful of enzymes that dictate whether the red blood cell is going to have a long life or it's going to have uh, accelerated aging. Well, what I found fascinating was that the five enzymes they were focused on all have a relationship with copper. Now, they don't go into the copper side of the story. They're just introducing people to these enzymes. Well, I know those enzymes, like catalase and glutathione peroxidase. Uh, and they're very important enzymes to keep uh, the red blood cell alive, and they have a very intimate relationship with copper. So it's um, it's just part of the um, the, the uh, conventional narrative, and is that if you have low iron in the blood work, well, you must need more iron. But that's not what the literature says. That's not what the research has said over the years. And in fact, there was very important research done in 2004 by Dr. Um, Ames, Bruce Ames, and his colleague David Kalilia. At, um, they were at Berkeley at the time. And what they re what they came to, to conclude and to find is that there can be 10 times more iron in the tissue that doesn't show up in the blood. And that's an enormous uh, difference between iron in the blood versus iron in the tissue. And that study uh, should be the cornerstone of medical education, but it's not. So on many different levels, um, people are not aware of the copper story. <clears throat> Excuse me, copper is the general. Iron is the foot soldier, the grunt. And foot soldiers do what they're told to do. And we've never really been taught that. That's not a central part of our understanding about how blood works, how iron works, but that's in fact the, you know, the, the truth of our physiology. So hopefully that gives well, you some more perspective. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I am stressed. And if you're feeling overwhelmed this holiday season, then I get it. With all the family get-togethers, it is just a relentless source of stress. But anyway, there is something that I've got called Stress Guardian. And it's actually made by Bioptimizers, the people who make the magnesium breakthrough, which I love, love, love. But anyway, they are literally made this new product. It has 14 adaptogenic herbs and it just regulates your stress. I just actually took some right this second. And it's awesome. If you go to stressguardian.com slash waste away and put in waste away for 10% off your first order, it's stressguardian.com slash waste away. Go there now. Well, we need copper for better circulation. We need it for our heart, our lungs, our liver, every major organ, including the pancreas, to prevent diabetes. And we need copper for the immune system and for germ killing. And copper is actually non-toxic and safe. I've heard, you know, people taking, you know, 20 milligrams a day. Now, when you go to find copper, a lot of the copper is like at two milligrams or three milligrams. So talk about what is a safe amount for someone to use for copper. Yeah, no, great question. Um, when you look at the literature in the 1930s, when they were studying people's diets, people were getting between four and six milligrams a day from their diet, from their natural diet. Uh, by the 60s, that number had dropped to two to five milligrams. So that's a, that's a big drop. And now the, the recognized RDA for copper is nine-tenths of one milligram. 
Well, I think people need to realize that our grandparents and great-grandparents were much more vital, and they didn't have an ologist for every part of their body that they were worried about back in the 1920s and 30s when there was you know, a, a very different nutrient profile in food. So the supplements that are available typically are around two milligrams on the supplement that I've got, Recuperate. It's a two milligram supplement. And, but it's also in food. It's in desiccated beef liver, spirulina, and there's turmeric there as well. And so copper is um, a very special mineral. Uh, it's best absorbed with fat. It really needs to have fat in the diet in order to be properly absorbed. And what I find is that I recommend to clients to start with one see how they feel with two after they've worked with it for a week or two. And I've got some clients on their own taking as many as five and six recuperate a day. I, I've not advised them to do that, but I've got um, probably a handful of clients right now who swear by how, how much better they feel because they are restoring this missing uh, nutrient in their body. Um, we also have to be really careful about, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate of low and slow. Start low, gradually build up. And when you get into the uh, the details of the NIH, you'll find out that they have an upper tolerable limit for copper, and it's 12 milligrams. That's what they think is sort of this peak that, that people should strive for. And I think that's reasonable. And, and there are studies where they were giving that much again, decades ago, to try to restore um, organ function, but it's just unheard of in the, in the modern era. And again, as we've talked about it, the meme that seems to run conventional medicine is you're anemic and you're copper toxic. Take as much iron as you want and get rid of that pesky copper. And what, what we've learned within the who caused protocol is that it's just the opposite. We are drowning in iron and we need more bioavailable copper. And when I use that word bioavailable, what I'm really trying to say is that it's retinol, the preformed vitamin A that comes from animals, uh, is critical in activating important copper enzymes to make um, to load up the copper in those enzymes. Very, very uh, critical function that is often overlooked. And so it isn't just simply taking more of copper, you need to you need to understand the bigger picture of how copper becomes bioavailable and gains its um, impact inside the body. Well, one of the foods is beef liver. Beef liver contains the most amount of copper per serving of any food. And so if you don't like liver, I have a supplement. Go to ChantalRayway.com slash liver. And in my opinion, it is the best. It's grass-fed, grass-finished. Um, it's by heartandsoil.co, and you can use the coupon code Chantel Ray and get a huge discount. But beef liver, mushrooms, uh, cashew nuts, sunflower seeds, potatoes, dark chocolate all have copper in it. And like you said, people were eating foods that had more copper in it, and now they're not having it much, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I, and I had a wonderful conversation uh, around uh, Halloween last year with Paul Saladino, who is the founder. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really uh, captivating and an engaging conversation, and we're due to have some more conversations this year. Yeah, he's amazing. And the thing is, is that to me, I have been in order for me to increase my iron, I've, I've done two things. And one is I'm taking um, some copper. If you go to ChantelRayway.com slash copper, um, we put in some copper there. And we also are taking these liver supplements. Those two, which are both adding copper, are really kind of game changers. So I want to talk about people. One person wrote in that they, you know, obviously we, people do a lot of fasting. And they were taking copper on an empty stomach. 
and getting extremely nauseous. So give us some tips on how to take copper so that you don't feel sick. Right. No, that's a good, very good question. Um, this has been in the in the folklore for a long time. Uh, this These are the examples of either nausea in the stomach or racing mind are signs of copper toxicity. Well, let me tease that apart. Um, going back to copper is general, iron is grunt. Um, one of the primary jobs of the copper on this planet is to mobilize iron, make sure that it is in circulation. Again, the conventional mindset is let's store iron. The historical, natural concept of iron is let's keep it in circulation. Let's keep it moving. It's meant to be both recycled and circulated throughout our body. It's not supposed to be stored. This idea that, oh, we need uh, we need a, a very high ferritin to make certain things work, it's like that's all modern narrative, not based on historical science. And when people get that feeling of nausea, what it, what's really happening is iron's being mobilized in the stomach. I guarantee you that iron will... That sensation of iron will cause you to have nausea. Why do women who are pregnant and take prenatals, why do many of them struggle with nausea in that first trimester? It's because there's iron in those supplements, and that iron is what's causing the nausea. There's no copper. There's there's a trace of copper in a prenatal, but I can guarantee you it's the iron that's causing that dynamic, and it's doing the same thing with the, the racing mind. Iron gets mobilized in the brain tissue, and it will cause a feeling, a sensation of anxiety. And again, it's just people have been trained to believe it's the copper, when in fact, when you look at the, the properties of copper and what it's designed to do inside our body, it's mobilizing iron, which is, is a good thing, but it, it can uh, get out of hand. The other thing is, as it relates to uh, people who are fasting, and I totally get that, um, you've got to be very strategic about when you do take these supplements, especially something like copper that uh, has known properties. It, it, it does work. It has a very significant impact in our body. And I think if you're in a fasting regimen, you've got to um, find a time when you can, in fact, take that copper with food when you're not fasting. I think that's probably what, when you're uh, best off. And uh, the other options that people have would be a copper cream. You're not going to get that same sensation using a copper cream that you would have if you're taking any supplement that needs to be digested. So I think for those who are really disciplined about their fasting, they might, they might benefit by using a topical form of copper uh, and that might be a, a wonderful salvation to their their situation. Mm. Well, I want to tell you guys that iron is used in many packaged foods to fortify them. And iron blocks copper. So if you look at all these cereals, right, Morley, that are saying fortified with iron, that is part of the problem. Talk about that for just a second. Yeah, that's the work of uh, Jamie Collins down at uh, University of Florida in Gainesville. Uh, 2018 to probably 2022, he's been studying um, what happens with a fortified diet and what does it do to the copper metabolism. And it's it's just like, it's like a break. It stops it. And again, he's working with rodents. He's not working with humans, but they're scaling it, obviously. But the uh, <clears throat> we've been... We've been trained to believe that we need more iron. We don't. Uh, there is, it's the number one element on planet Earth. 36% of the Earth's composition is iron. And it, the, the idea that we need more iron and we need to get rid of copper is just, it's com in complete violation uh, to the natural principles of how our ancestors understood uh, the food composition and that fortification process really kicked in. Um, it started in 1941 here in the States and UK and Canada. It increased significantly in 1969. But now we're, we're dealing with nine different forms of supplemental iron being added to the food system. So it's just, it's 
a very significant factor, and people don't realize it, of those nine different forms of iron being added, all nine of them are known to cause cancer. Well, that's that's an important series of dots to connect to say, well, wait a minute, maybe we're getting too much of this iron, and maybe we need to be focusing on the general, and that's really the whole basis of the root cause protocol. You guys, I'm so excited. We are doing a free masterclass for you. It's actually on nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass. That's nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass. And it's going to be all about how to get rid of your gut infections, how to get rid of parasites. If you have painful digestion, if you're suffering from poor sleep, if you've got constant exhaustion, massive joint pain, or skin issues, then you need to get rid of the parasites that are holding your body hostage. I'm going to tell you right now, you're thinking, I don't have parasites. I don't have parasites. Yes, you do. I have Crystal with me. Crystal, tell them your joke. Yeah. If you have a pulse, then you have a parasite or more. And the thing about parasites is they're sneaky. And even if they came back negative on a stool test that you did before, that doesn't matter. They can still be present. And so on this masterclass, we're going to teach you all the tips and tricks that you might have heard of but didn't know how to use, like diatomaceous earth, pumpkin seed protocols, garlic and berberine and black walnut, because you can't do all of these things, but you need to select a few that work for you. So we're going to go through all of that in this masterclass. All right. And my son created a new site. It's called Non-Toxic Family. And if you're not following, go to nontoxicfamilynow.com or on Facebook, go to Non-Toxic Family. You'll see my son he does all these great videos on how to be healthy. They're really great. And we actually put the mat free masterclass on this site. So it's nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass and sign up for free. Look forward to seeing you guys. Well, let's talk about fluoride because I know that fluoride blocks copper and most people have far more fluoride than copper in their body and the amount of milligrams of fluoride compared to the milligrams of copper. And it it should be the other way around. They should have a lot more copper. So talk about that and what's happening with the amount of fluoride going into our systems. Well, fluoride has been uh, intensely debated for almost a century. I mean, there are, I think it was back in the 40s or 50s, there were uh, 13 or 14 Nobel laureates that openly criticized the use of fluoride in in, in water treatment. Uh, it was after the war when uh, then then Congressman Jerry Ford said it was okay to put fluoride into the water system in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And now there, I think it's like 75 municipalities are adding, still adding uh, fluoride to their water treatment, which is and it's all based on this idea that the additional fluoride will make the the teeth strong, and it's it's based on flawed research coming out of out of Texas, uh, Death Smith County, Texas, and it's a long story that we probably don't have time to get into. But the point is, fluoride is 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 in our water. Um, all of the um, bottled waters for infants have fluoride in them which is a scary thought. And people just aren't mindful of the need to um, have the right kind of filters. Basically, what you've got to do is is having a reverse osmosis system to take everything out and then add back in the minerals. Uh, and there are a variety of, of companies that do that. Uh, we, we work with uh, pH prescription, but there are a number of different firms that, that, that do this. And people just need to be much more mindful of there is a downside uh, to fluoride. Um, there's a a wonderful book by a um, you know, black on his knee right now, but he's a dentist outside in uh, the Chicago area, and it's called Fluoride: The Devil's Poison, and it's a very unsettling book to read. Uh, he was challenged by one of his clients, one of his patients. Uh, he was about to do a fluoride rinse, and she said, no, have you personally researched this? And he said, no. And long story short, he developed 25 linear feet of research. That's a lot of research. And he, at the beginning stages, realized that fluoride was either 
a poison or the second coming? And he said, it can't be both. And that's what inspired him to keep going. And he, he drew the conclusion that it's a very, very toxic poison to our body. And in fact, um, there's a famous uh, article from the American Dental Association in the early 50s. I think it was like 1954. They, they were documenting the importance of fluoride for preventing dental caries. And the article indicated that the uh, workers in munition plants had no caries. And so um, 50 years after that study was done, someone invoked the Freedom of Information Act and said, we want to see the notes on that study. Because munition workers are exposed to a lot of fluoride. People may not, may not know that. But what they found in the notes was a very different story. The munition workers had no teeth. <laughs> Therefore, they had no dental caries. Well, you, they were, the article that was published didn't go into the full truth of the situation. So I think a lot of people have, have been trained to believe that fluoride is their friend and it's going to help them with their, their teeth structure, when in fact it's a lot more convoluted and complicated so I would encourage people to look up the IAOMT. That's the group of biological dentists that are very passionate about this subject and find a, a practitioner who's certified by the IAOMT and make sure that you're not falling prey to that um, misinformation that goes back to the 50s. So Jason Hommel says that nearly everything people die from is at least in part from a copper deficiency and that copper can cure symptoms that lead people out of, you know, 49 out of the 50 drugs that people are taking. If they would be taking copper, they could cure a lot of the symptoms except the mineral potassium. He says that a lot of people are also massively potassium deficient. Um Talk about that just a little bit. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I haven't said it quite the way Jason does, but I, basically what I conclude, the reason why the book is called Cure Your Fatigue, there's, there's 32,000 uh, symptoms that are profiled in the Merck Manual. Well, every one of them begins with cellular energy deficiency. And this is a concept that was developed by Douglas Wallace, who's a famous geneticist at uh, Children's Hospital in Pennsylvania. And he made a very important observation in 2005 about the glaring defect of conventional medicine is they don't recognize cellular energy deficiency. And so at the end of the day, copper is making sure that all 40 quadrillion, that's 15 zeros, 40 quadrillion mitochondria are doing their job and when they don't do their job, and mitochondria do more than just make energy, they they recycle a lot of things. They're critically important for maintaining the homeostasis of the cell and producing the key amino acids and proteins that we rely on. And all of that requires energy, but, but the mitochondria are more like a automobile plant, not a power plant. There's a lot of... Automobile plants have their own source of energy, but they're making stuff all day long, and that's our mitochondria. And so if if the automobile plants in our body aren't making stuff, it's going to lead to static. It's going to lead to symptoms. And what I think Jason is talking about there is that uh, there's a very direct link back to some copper-related function around creating energy, clearing exhaust, connecting tissue, communicating across uh, signaling peptides. I mean, there's I, I've identified 10 different um, macro functions that copper is critically uh, essential for, and there's no dispute about it, but no one's ever putting it in the context that, oh, this, you know, this Achilles heel of ours, this, our bioavailable copper status, is in fact what really dictates the vitality of our body. So I think that there's legitimacy to what uh, Jason is saying. I just approach it from a slightly different perspective. So I believe unless you eat a lot of liver, you need to have a copper supplement. <clears throat> unless you're like liver, 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 
you know, fine, take the liver supplement if you if you don't love liver, but also I believe you also need this copper supplement. And the best copper supplement, there are different kinds, right? So tell us the different kinds of copper and what kind you think is the best. In terms of the supplements. Like, uh, you know, copper sulfate and, you know, there's just different kinds of copper. Right. Can you explain them and explain what you think are the best? Yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, and the, the tragedy is, you know, when I mentioned uh, Dr. McHarg back in the 20s, he wrote an article back in 1925. It was even more important, I think, where he identified where copper is found in the food system because it's being drawn to the retinol in the food. And what were the foods that he was focusing on? Milk, butter, eggs, and cottage cheese. So where does cottage cheese come from? You've heard of curds and whey. What's from the curd? How do you spell curd? C-U hyphen R-D. And so I think Dr. McHard was pointing out that our ancestors had a steady supply of copper in their diet through their uh, regular daily diet. People, you know, our ancestors grew up with bacon and eggs and, and having um, a source of, of dairy uh, in their regular diet. That's all changed. The, the animals don't have the, the copper that they had back in the 20s. That's the, that's the crisis that we're facing right now. And so, uh, to your point, if you're not eating liver, then you do need a supplement. I think the, the, the frustration is that our ancestors were able to have a daily diet, and then weekly they could have liver, and they were fine. They were getting that, the amount of, of copper that they needed. We don't have that luxury now. And we're faced with um, choices about what, what can we do. The classic uh, sources of, of supplemental copper uh, have been copper chloride, copper sulfate. Uh, Dr. Pickert, Lauren Pickert, identified a copper peptide, GHK peptide, and put that into copper cream. Uh, that's the copper cream that I'm referring to. Um, and then more recently, the folks at Albion Minerals have developed what's called copper bisglycinate. And the importance of the bisglycinate is <laughs> the in the, in the debates about copper, people know about copper one and copper two, uh, the valence of copper. Well, it turns out that copper bisglycinate has a valence of zero. And so it's immediately available for absorption. Well, that's a very powerful um, premise to understand why it's so bioavailable. Um, I've had no direct experience with um, the dosing of copper chloride or copper sulfate. Uh, I don't see it the same way Jason does. That doesn't mean that he's, you know, doesn't have validity. I just, um, I don't like dosing it at that level. Uh, I, I don't think we were designed uh, to be bathing in it and swimming in it inside our tummy. It's just, you know, you know, I have a point of departure. We totally agree on its importance. We just agree disagree with how we need to restore its status in our body. And I was very um, methodical about creating the recuperate uh, to have it be a food-based form. I think it's important to have those nutrient um, complexes with the mineral. I think it makes a, makes a huge difference. And that um, the retinol and the uh, other cofactors that are in the liver and the um, spirulina is an incredibly rich source of superoxide dismutase, one of the most important copper enzymes in our body to stop oxidative stress. And and turmeric is just a, a nice addition to cut the uh, inflammatory response so that people can, can rest assured that they're going to, uh, under most circumstances, not have any issue. I'm not aware, Chantel, of other forms of copper, although there is copper hydrosol, uh, and that's made by the folks that make sovereign silver. And it's a liquid form, which is very popular. But I think it's sort of, it's a microdose of copper. When in fact, it, you know, so we're getting a, if you will, a pipette of copper. copper when I think most people need a fire hose. I think we there's a dosing issue that I think has to be addressed uh, if you're going to go the liquid route. And I'm not aware of other forms of copper besides those 
that would be viable. But those pretty much cover the waterfront. So let's talk about a lot of people are saying to take dairy with your copper. It's so funny because if there's one food that I'm constantly craving and it's so weird, it's cottage cheese. (laughs) You just mentioned it. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, some people like crave like donuts or brownies. The one food that so there's got to be something I'm like must be missing in my my diet. But I'm I if you said like a piece of gluten free toast with cottage cheese on top, I would like go nuts. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I, I need cottage cheese and a piece of gluten free toast. So what is it about dairy that people are saying if you're adding copper to your diet, you need to add dairy? Can you explain that? Yeah, it's, it's intriguing. I, I don't know that I've ever heard it said quite like that. Um, I think it really comes back to Dr. McCarg's work about retinol. You know, Again, milk, butter, cakes, and cheese. Um, they were um, historically, they had the animal fat in them, what what do people imbibe in now? Well, I'm on a low-fat diet, so I want skinny milk. I want skinny cheese. I don't eat eggs. I'm afraid of heart disease. or And, I, and the butter, oh my gosh, trying to find butter in a supermarket now. There's a wall of spread, and there's like three different um, sticks of, of butter. And we, we, are, we are being exposed to a very different environment. But I think what those um, sources of food that you're talking about, what they offer up is fat. The retinol is a fat-soluble vitamin. It's very, very important for our physiology. And copper requires fat in order to be absorbed. So I think it makes makes perfect sense to me that you would uh, have symmetry between those historical sources of fat uh, and the... um, proper uptake of copper in the diet. And again, it's we've lost touch with the, the diet of our ancestors. And that's really why we talk about the ancestral diet uh, in the root cause protocol. You know, the work of Weston A. Price is seminal uh, and, and others that have, have followed suit that I think are, are particularly uh, important to understand why these uh, ancestral sources of protein and fat are so important to our vitality. So in the book, The Copper Revolution, that he talks about, he Jason Hummel says that he thought about switching the name to the Copper-Zinc Revolution because the two minerals work really powerful in a, in a powerful way. What is your opinion on that as far as um, adding zinc in with the copper? Completely opposed to it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if... Uh, Jason and I have done the same research, but there's compelling evidence that zinc blocks copper uptake. It's not a secret. Uh, Zinc has known properties to stimulate the production of metallothionine. The metallothionine binds up copper a thousand times greater than it binds up zinc. Now, this is the work of um, uh, George Brewer, at the University of Wisconsin, or excuse me, University of Michigan, Indian Arbor, uh, MD researcher, who spent 15 years studying the use of zinc for Wilson's disease. And Wilson's disease, the, the, the then treatment was to illuminate copper wherever possible. So he was using zinc to do that. Second property of zinc is that it will stop the ferrooxidase enzyme. That's a very important enzyme in our body. Uh, and Dr. Uh, Deuce down in Australia uh, back in 2010 was able to prove that zinc in the brain was blocking the ferrooxidase enzyme function of the amyloid precursor protein. That's a serious problem. And then the third, uh, I don't have the uh, author uh, memorized, but zinc has no properties of blocking complex four of the mitochondria. That's where Complex four is where oxygen becomes two molecules of water. It's, in my opinion, the most important chemical transaction on planet Earth. You've got to activate oxygen with four electrons, four hydrogen atoms, so that we can create two molecules of water to release the energy so that we can get on with our day. And 
this is happening at a blitzkrieg pace, as you can imagine, but zinc has known properties to block that function. So I don't see it at all the way uh, Jason has laid it out in this book. And again, it's just, I, I think that's not uncommon for people in areas of expertise to have differences of opinion. But I have a real fixation around those three areas that I've identified that that's where I have a serious problem with, with zinc as a supplement. Get it in your diet, you know, in beets or pumpkin seeds or whatever, but as a supplement, no, I, I am vehemently opposed to that. Guys, I just want to interrupt for just a second, and I want you to hear Paul Saladino talk about why liver is so important. And if you don't like liver, we have another option for you. Your ancestors were eating liver. And the reason that this sort of wisdom has been passed down is because liver is very nutritious. It's basically nature's multivitamin. If you look at the nutrients in meat, they're great. You've got zinc, you got B6, you got B12, you got some K2. But if you look at liver, it really complements what's in muscle meat. And there are many unique nutrients found in organs, specifically liver as a powerhouse of these, that are difficult to obtain outside of liver. Like meat and organs are like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. They're supposed to be eaten together. The easiest way to eat liver is just to do it raw. If you don't want to eat liver raw, you can cook it. But the reason that I like to do it raw is because there are unique nutrients in liver that are probably somewhat degraded when you cook the liver. This really is like the most nutrient-rich supplements that you can find. And they are amazing. I have tried them. I absolutely love them. So just go to heartandsoil.cs, use the coupon code Chantal Ray, and save you some money there. So let's talk about the amount of where you should try to get to. So I, I've heard different things that people are saying about 20 milligrams of copper is kind of where you want to get to. A lot of the different supplements out there, they might have like three milligrams. Um, I also really like the liquid um, copper. But do you feel like if you were going to kind of say, okay, if someone's going to titrate up, would you say like, where would you have them start? And then would you say around the 20 um, milligrams is kind of where you would suggest or would you say even higher than that? No, I I start people on uh, the recuperate at one capsule, which is two milligrams. I encourage them after experiencing it for a week to 10 days, try two. And I um, typically tell people, you know, see how you feel with three, maybe four. But I never tell people to go beyond that. But what my clients have done on their own volition is going up to the um, NIH max of um, 12 milligrams of the upper tolerable limit. I have one client that actually took, um, again, not with my uh, recommendation or, or um, say so, but after the fact, I learned they took 15 recuperate, which is 30 milligrams. Uh, and they... They actually had a positive reaction. It's a type 2 diabetic that forgot their insulin uh, or they ran out of their insulin and they were able to um, allow that copper to be the bridge. That's a whole other conversation to have. But the point is, I do not recommend 20 milligrams. I think that is uh, excessive dosing. I I stay within the, the limits of the NIH. And does that mean that people aren't experimenting? Yeah, maybe they are. And again, I have no experience with the, the copper sulfate, and I have no desire to experiment with it. It's just not a form that I think is viable in the human body. And obviously, there are people that feel differently about that. It's just I have a, a, a dosing and a, a format that I use with great results, and I'm very satisfied. Um, let's talk about copper chelation. Explain what does that mean and how does that how does that affect someone if they're, you know, there's chelated copper and then there's regular copper. Can you explain that? Well, chelation is a the derivative is it's a Greek word meaning claw. And what what is happening is a, typically a chelating agent would be an amino acid would be holding the copper. And again, the chelation can be a um, double entendre, can have two meanings. It can mean that the the claw is holding onto the copper so that when you absorb it, it'll let go of it and then the copper will be available. 
But the claw can also be used as a way to get that mineral out of our body. So copper bisglycinate is an amino acid form of chelation that enables and enhances the absorption of copper. Roundup glyphosate, the, the farming chemical that's used pervasively around the world, also chelates copper. But that's, a, that's the second. It's taking it out. It's binding it up in the soil. It's binding it up in the plant. It's binding it up in the animal. And it's binding it up in our body. And that form of chelation is very dangerous and very destructive to our health. Um, Dr. Um, Bam. I'm blanking on his name at uh, Purdue University. I'm embarrassed. I can't think of his name right now. Um, but he has studied a glyphosate more than anyone else on the planet. And in a book that he wrote in December of 2022, uh, he was talking about the chelating speed of glyphosate. And glyphosate will chelate. It chelates a lot of minerals. It has very powerful properties to chelate minerals. But glyphosate chelates copper a billion times faster than it chelates zinc. Well, you can't relate to a billion times faster. There was, let me try to bring it down a notch. There was a time when I could run an, an eight minute mile. And at that time, my son, who was in college at the time, my younger son, he clocked a 402 mile in a track meet, which is, that's pretty darn fast. He was twice as fast as I was. And I went to the gym to see what it felt like to run a four-minute mile. Almost killed myself when I realized that the machine was doing all the work and I was just holding on for dear life. But a billion times faster, we can't relate to that. It chelates copper a thousand times faster than it chelates zinc, a thousand times faster than it chelates iron. Again, these orders of magnitude of the numbers, it's like, a thousand times faster. We can't even relate to that. We don't even understand how to um, interpret that. So chelation is a, a double-edged sword. There, there are nutritional values of using mineral chelation to enhance absorption, but there are other forms of chelation which are very destructive and are prevalent because of the um, extensive use of, of glyphosate around the world. And it's important for people to know the distinction between those two forms. Mm. I had a lady who said that she had listened to your podcast. She used to color her hair. And what happened is she um, started, she was getting gray and she always had to get it colored. She started taking copper and she said all of her gray hair went away. She was not having to color her hair. Have you heard that about people adding copper into their diet and now they're having, they're not having a, a gray hair like they were? Yeah, I have. It's not everyone. Uh, I would say it's um, maybe 10 or 20%. And I don't know why everyone doesn't respond the same way. It's kind of, because I used to have flaming red hair. I don't have flaming red hair. <laughs> but um, they, um, it's a known fact that the hair follicle gets bleached as we age. Well, what does bleach do? It turns it white. And the um, hair follicle is meant to have melanin, and melanin is a very important enzyme that helps produce all colors from yellow to black. And when the, mel when the um, hair follicle starts to deal with oxidative stress because we, as we age, we have more oxidative stress. It seems to have an affinity for the hair follicle. I'm not sure why. I would guess that the body is just doing us a favor, letting us know that as we age, we are in fact dealing with more and more stress. And that word stress really means we're dealing with more and more oxidative stress. Mm. So good. Well, I will tell you guys our food supply I read a study that said is only giving us about 0.6 milligrams of copper um, 
for the average of like 80% of the people. And 60 years ago, people were getting like five milligrams of copper in their food and their diet, like he said. So this is something we do have to supplement with. I do want you to go to ChantelRayWay.com slash copper to learn more about that. And Morley, I want everyone to read your book. It is amazing. Tell people where they can find more about you with the root uh, cause protocol and how they can find your book because it is a game changer for all of you who have not yet read it. Go ahead, Marley. Morley. Yeah, the, the website is RCP for root cause protocol, rcp123.org. Social media, there's Instagram, Facebook. Uh, there's a magnesium advocacy group. There's a RCP page. Um, the, the book is available on, on any online uh, bookseller. Um, probably the, the most prevalent is Amazon. Uh, people go to Abe who want to fight Amazon. It turns out that Abe is owned by Amazon. I find that very funny. But um, would encourage people to, to look that up. Um, you can join our community. There is an RCP community where we have biweekly meetings every other week. Uh, talking about different topics, doing Q and A's, and you can get through that, get to that via the um, RCP website. And then we have a, a training program, a 16-week pro training program. It's actually uh, the the uh, registration is about to close next week, so I'm really glad we were able to have this conversation, Chantel. Uh, but for those who are really seeking to do the deep dive, uh, you can look into the RCP Institute, uh, and that. Uh, is a 16-week training that starts first week in February. We'll go for 16 straight weeks. And it's uh, we, we've trained over a 1,000 people, and many of them are practitioners who really wanted to learn how does the body really work. So it's been a, a, a fabulous experience uh, to bring this information into a more, if you will, academic setting and have the, um, the research and the um, science to really back up what we're saying behind the question. I can't wait. That, I bet that training is phenomenal. I cannot wait to see yeah. what that is going to do. Because the, here's the, the thing. I feel like people need to find out. They need to get the information, bring it in, and then they can self-diagnose themselves on what's going on. Because if you try to go to a regular doctor these days, what are they going to do? They're just going to put you on prescription drugs and then you're going to be down a rabbit hole and you're going to be worse and worse and worse. The last thing you need is prescription drugs. You need to figure out what is your deficiencies. And I will tell you, for me personally, this Morley has really, he is the only one who has figured out why my iron and my ferritin was so low. No one else could figure it out. Everyone else just wanted to put me on iron um, infusions. And here comes Morley to save the day. So make sure you go out there, read his book, join the root cause protocol, figure out what is the root cause of what you're going through. So Morley, thank you again for being on here. You are changing lives in so many ways. And uh, I appreciate you for, for being on the show again today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to have this continued dialogue and we'll see where it goes from here. And you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.